Welcome to the 11th Rising Tide Ocean podcast. And today I'm with uh, my friend and colleague, Margot Pellegrino. She's a coastal explorer. She's Blue Frontiers Outreach Coordinator. She has a parakeet, a green parakeet sitting on top of her head. That's... uh, I I, I had a feeling... Well, that's a good place to start. (laughs) Tell us about that parakeet sitting on your head. Well, he's actually a conure, and uh, which is a South American parakeet, and he just he has this unique ability just to show up when when things start. Uh, I, I don't know when you don't want him to, and uh, usually he hangs out with my son. He loves he loves Billy. Uh, Billy is his best friend, and he'll makes it difficult to kiss Billy goodnight in, <laughs> at night because I always get attacked by the bird. <laughs> Well, every pirate has to have a parrot, so. There you go. Paddlers get Conyers. <laughs> Margo has a BA in labor studies from Rutgers University. She's a long-time, lifelong Jersey gal who grew up in an ocean-loving family. Out of concern for the state of our ocean, what that means for the future of her children, paddling as an ocean activist, one-woman outrigger canoes from Miami to Maine, Seattle to San Diego, in the Gulf of Mexico, from New Jersey to D.C., uh, for our March for the Ocean in 2018. And her last epic paddle was from New York to New Orleans via the Great Lakes and Heartland River Network. You've always been athletic, but tell me how you, uh, how you first got into your epic paddling adventures. Uh, I guess the first big one was Miami to Maine in what, 2007? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, you know- what inspired that? <laughs> I, I think it was a culmination of things, plus this the big push of, you know, it was it was almost like a, a thing done in grief. Um my father, who had been, you know, other than my husband, my best friend, um, had passed away suddenly in 2004 in, in June. And I think, you know, you go through your process of grief and my dad was always a big ocean ocean lover too. Um and he he was also someone who um you know, had a lot of dreams, had a lot of things he wanted to do. And, and somehow, you know, other things got in the way of, of him doing what he wanted to do. So the loss of my father, the ultimate, you know, the huge responsibility as it was completely dawning on me that of, of having these children that I am responsible for and I need to leave them a planet as at least as good as I found it. And there's no way I can do that. It, you know, I can, there's no way that's going to happen unless we all get together and, and change things as they are. And, and being an ocean person and having collected all these articles and going through my father's magazines that he saved about uh, the impending collapse of the, the ocean and the issues facing it. It was like, this is too big of a, you know, this is not like a a banking collapse and all, and you need someone to bail out a bank. There's no one that's going to bail out the ocean. So, um, I had, I, I figured, you know, I need something epic that would be relatively safe too, not something that crossing the ocean. I do have two kids after all, so I have to come home to them. And so Miami to Maine really was just the, the, a pretty sentimental journey too. You know, my father always used to sing about the moon over Miami and we vacationed in Maine. So consequently, we, we did, you know, that had to be the route. And I knew there was an intracoastal waterway. Um, I also hike parts of the AT, the Appalachian Trail. And so I figured, you know, people hike the whole AT and there's a certain 
logistical arrangement that you you know you do beforehand it's it's easy to do and you take care of a few details like where you're going to send get i mean packages to uh whatever post office at whatever time that you're going to need them and you know you can coordinate that and hike the whole thing um and i figured that would be what i would do from miami to maine and with a outrigger canoe yeah because that's the most seaworthy I think, you know, people say the kayak is, but I feel like the Polynesian style outrigger canoes are probably more time tested and, and in more sea, seafaring, um, you know, adventures than a kayak. When'd you take off? What was it like? When'd you launch and, and tell us about your trip? Okay. May 7th of 2007 was the first day. And that was um, actually, we found out a couple days before that there was like uh, some stormy weather ahead. We didn't realize how bad it was. And apparently May 7th was the first tropical storm of the season with 40 mile an hour winds out of the Northeast. And it was just brutal because of, and I would say 90% of that trip from Miami to Maine was headwinds and sometimes really, really bad headwinds. Um, But, you know, we couldn't, there's no bailing out. And so our, we had a plan that first day that if it if the wind proved to be too much i would just paddle a mile and then you know call it a day and and the official start and you know tack on more miles the next day but and it it was sketchy i mean it was really sketchy and the 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 wind was just off the charts watching the palm trees waving like i mean they were just like like hurling themselves and and like some macabre dance and they it just was very um intimidating looking (laughs) but once i got on the water it just, we went and we went the whole first day it was only 22 miles. It took forever in that wind, but. You must've been pretty tired after how many hours of paddling each day? It depended. It really did. It could be anywhere from four hours to, um, I think one time was well over 12 hours, probably like 13 hours. Where were you then? That was, and actually it was 15 hours. Um, that was in South Carolina and I had paddled from Hilton Head to right below um, the Folly Beach area or right in that Folly Beach area. I realized how far out I was when I was looking at this like little tiny stick. It looked like a little, just a little black thing sticking up. And I thought, well, that's an odd marker. And I paddled in closer and realized it's the stinking lighthouse. (laughs) It was, you know, I was really, I was out with the shrimpers. And they were all really like surprised to see a person <laughs> that out far there. out. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, so was an adve- it was an adventure, and all the time you were paddling, you were also like keeping a blog, so we could all follow along with you from afar. Um, amazing journey, and I think at the end of it, you'd say, "Wow, that's it! I'm hanging up my paddle." But. Uh, went on somebody told you you should do Seattle to San Diego <laughs> yeah and and it took me it took me how many two more inland type trips before I had the nerve to do that one because <laughs> um, you know after, after 2007 was Miami to Maine and then 2008 was uh, Long Beach Island New Jersey to Washington DC with NRDC and then 2009 was Miami to New Orleans in partnership with Golf Restoration Network, which I think is now Healthy Golf. Mm-hmm. That one night where I, I think it was a 50 mile paddle or so. And, and I knew at the end of that paddle, I was not gonna be able to cross 
uh, Mobile Bay because the wind, the, the conditions had really kicked up and they weren't bad on, on the Gulf, but because the winds were coming out of the Northeast, it seems like so many of my paddles are with that Northeast wind in my face. Um, or side, you know, just side swiping you. So I was really lucky. I didn't feel it when I was on the Gulf, but when I had to go into the inlet, you could just see it was, it looked like a washing machine and I was pretty exhausted. And I figured, you know, I'm going to call the Coast Guard and just see if they have any boats out patrolling around. Um, and also where I was, where I was, I could not quite see Dolphin Island. So Alabama. I didn't really, yeah, I didn't have a good, uh, yes. So didn't you have get on your Marine radio. And they said, well, we're occupied because there's uh, four people that went overboard and we're trying to rescue them and we can't find them. So I thought, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to sit this out. I got permission from um, this lovely park ranger guy, Blanton Blankenship. That's a name that you just cannot forget. Blanton Blankenship, who so kindly let me stay at Fort Morgan um, and gave me the key so I could just like crash out at, the, at that Confederate fort. Um, hitchhiked my way to uh, dinner and, or actually I walked to dinner, then this, this kindly couple took me back. <laughs> so I didn't have to walk back the two miles after dinner in the dark. Um, and, you know, it was mildly creepy. Um, and I could have sworn when I left. This was I a had, National Park uh, Confederate yeah. fort. Fort Morgan. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I kept thinking, you know, the Yankee girl is going to get haunted by these Confederate ghosts. And then 2010, I kept thinking, because like by then, David, you know, I had a little bit of knowledge (laughs) about what I was doing. And I knew what I was getting into with the West Coast. Miami to Maine was ignorance. But I want to tell you that was good training if you do the New England states. So it was the good, if you do the New England states, you can kind of prepare yourself for what's involved with um, Seattle to San Diego, just because of the fog, the loneliness, the coldness of the water. And although, although what really, the, the West Coast was incredible, uh, but what makes that, you know, you add all that to the mix and maybe on the East Coast, you have a more, you're more likely to get run over by a boat on the East Coast. Although maybe that's not entirely true because on the West Coast, they're just not going to expect you're out, that you're even out there um, because it is really lonely. That was big water and cold. And I, I have to tell you, um, you and Viviana did an incredible, um, an incredible job with the press because that turnout in Seattle was probably the biggest kickoff that I've had for any of my paddles. We had the, all the outrigger canoes clubs out there. We had dragon boat clubs. We had sole kayakers and they all paddled from Lake union, um, to, um, the first lock and a bunch of the outriggers, only the outriggers went into the lock, which was kind of entertaining to have about 20 outriggers. But from then on the interest became, you know, it was really funny because, because, uh, various media outlets then were focused on, is she going to make it? <laughs> and follow the journey so that became a bit of intrigue too just like is she gonna make it you crossed some incredible water for ranging from the columbia bar to the port of la i mean it's like huge yeah. challenges i think the you columbia, gotta the columbia was the biggest challenge and that was when we had to wait out and in the meantime i think people were kind of flipping out and worried that i could even do it so you get to the yeah. columbia bar and, and you gotta cross that yes and it was the biggest swells I've ever, ever, ever paddled in. Just huge. 
I had paddled, I think up until that point, I had the, the biggest surf that I had been in was off of the, off of Rhode Island, you know, Newport, Rhode Island, when it was seven to 11 and the Coast Guard had warnings because some of them were steep and breaking. And I figured that would be probably a small day on the West Coast. And sometimes in some places that was the case. Like, but I'll tell you, this, the Columbia River mouth was even bigger. It was huge. But the thing is, it was rolling. So it, you have these house-sized swells. I mean, literally like two-story size swells. But because they're so gradual, it's like a moving ski slope or something. And it was, it really, once you get used to it, it's quite fun. You feel like an ant on a waterbed. But I did see a big fishing boat coming out. And I figured I'd wave because I know he's not expecting someone to be coming across Peacock Spit. So, um, you know, he passes by, but then he circles around and he comes back. And so I'm like thinking, oh no, and I'm waving even more, <laughs> even more because I didn't know if he saw me. And it turns out he did see me. His son saw me. And so they wanted to see if I needed help. And I said, oh no, that's, that's okay. I'm good. And he goes, well, where are you paddling? I said, well, I'm just going to the South Jetty and I'm going to surf in. And he goes, that's a surfing beach. I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm going to surf in. And so he said, well, you don't have anyone out here? I said, no, he goes, well, I'll ask, you know, he offered to escort me across. I told him what I was doing. And, you know, he said, well, I'm the enemy because he was a big fishing trawler. I said, no, we just, we want fish. We like fish. That's why we're doing this. <laughs> you know, you, you got to help and conserve the ocean if you want to eat fish. I mean, that's just, you know, how it goes. So uh, he, he was very helpful, which was really nice because it was big out there. And I was absolutely surprised I was moving so slowly. I mean, I was like trying to bang it out as hard as I could and only going about two miles an hour, not even in spots. And, you know, I asked him, I said, you know, I thought I figured the tide right. I thought it was incoming. He says, yeah, but there's still an incredible downward flow from the river. So even when you're crossing with the tide, you are still going up against some serious river current. It's, I, I've never seen anything like that, that or experienced anything like that. That was crazy. You know, the amount of kind of wild ocean, even even when you get beyond Washington, Oregon into Northern California is pretty impressive. Uh, the wild coast that you paddled there. It is, it was so incredible. It was, um, it really is a, a mind altering and, and, and life altering experience because there's, you know, it's wild, it's wilderness out there. It's absolute utter wilderness, wilderness. And it's just you and the ocean and the creatures in the ocean too. There was, I did run into, um, a sea line. And I think, I think that might've been Northern California. Honestly, I have to look at my notes. Okay. And well, insert a barking sea lion right here. <laughs> he was huge and he almost wouldn't get out of the way. Like I didn't want to try to like turn. I figured if I, I have to look stronger than him. So I'm going to keep going toward him because I didn't want to appear, you know, I don't know. Will they, will they give chase? Because we have heard of, uh, before I started, I had heard of an incident where a, a sea lion attacked a guy's canoe and bit the ama yeah. and left holes. So I, I just kind of just really didn't, you know, and I figured if he's going to hit the ama that hard, then I might just go right over and who knows then, you know, he doesn't seem friendly at all. <laughs> so eventually he did back down which was good, but it was amazing. I was close enough to him and the wind was still enough. I could, I could smell his very fishy breath. It was that close. Mano a silo or yes. womano a silo. <laughs> but it is, it is incredibly wild. I, I really. What other I animals hope, you see out there? Yeah. Um, 
saw seals. So sea lions, seals, of course, tons of bird life, tons of birds. Um, and uh, didn't, oh, oh, I did see a shark in Malibu. <laughs> Probably a great white. We're paddling across Monterey Bay and um, got a late start and saw these, get to the middle and saw these um, whale watching boats and figured, well, maybe they're seeing something. And of course they were, they were seeing, they were watching the, these uh, big whales, the right whales. And of course everyone's watching and we're, pad we're trying to stay away from them. And they instead come over to us. <laughs> and the one, one big whale comes over and goes right under my friend's ama. Just, we really thought they were gonna be flipped. I thought, you know, you'd done the Gulf, the Atlantic coast, the Pacific coast. If I, I didn't see you, you're, you're not a cold water person. I didn't see you running the Arctic. I thought you were done. And uh, you came up with a very interesting final epic journey. Yes, that was um, actually sort of in a roundabout way. It was Trenton, but it ended up being New York, the Big Apple to the Big Easy. But, you know, it, the New York to New Orleans. Yes. Via New, New Jersey. York. New Jersey's mm -hmm. always forgotten by us New Yorkers. <laughs> Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And, uh, you know, it was very different. It was a very different pedal. It didn't have the wildness and aspect to it or the, the high danger aspect of, you know, just open rough waters. And, and it didn't have, um, you know, a lot of what the West Coast had, but it did have something uh, really different, I, I think. And you could do a lot more contemplating on this kind of a paddle because you're on very flat waterways. And, and your route was up the Hudson through the Erie Canal into the Great Lakes and down the river networks associated with the Mississippi River Basin into the Gulf. Yes, the Ten Tom Waterway, which is also kind of a, has a unique history. <laughs> okay. and, so this and was it, a more contemplative, and this was where you really connected all the waters. You connected the, yeah. the seaweed, the marine grassroots groups with uh, all these people fighting for clean water in the heartland. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the Rust Belt. And, you know, it was, it, it was an eye opening experience on a different level. You know, you see a lot of dying towns, you see, uh, you know, people that are just a lot you hear, heard about drug problems, especially in when I got into Satilla, Tennessee, you know, you there's people are just, it, it's really a, it's really a, it was a sad story. It was um, a story of resilience too and, and good people, but yeah, there's, there's so much more that could be done in the heartland and it's definitely our, our lost coast and our forgotten, our forgotten coast. One of the things that struck me is, is you wrote about the towns you paddled through where when they turned their back on the river and the water, they were dying towns. And when they rediscovered the waterfront, you saw this revival of economy and hope. Can you talk a little yes. bit about that? Yes, yes, because that is absolutely so true. I mean, I, I would like to see where some of those towns are right now, um, especially, oh, I'm totally blank blanking on the name, Grafton Harbor. Um, totally got whacked in the latest round of floods, I think, last year. Um, just horrible. But what you know, state they, is that in? That was Illinois. But uh, yeah, and it was so it was so evident that the towns that embrace and really accentuate their waterfronts are the towns. The difference between a dying town and a surviving town, and a li not just surviving but thriving. But yeah, the people um, were wonderful in Alabama, and Alabama is a really it is a beautiful place to paddle. But definitely make sure you have enough water because. 
I, I found myself like paddling for two hours at a time towards the end with no water because I had exhausted my supplies, which never, ever happened to me ever before in all the history of my paddle trips. So the challenges uh, on your inshore paddle went from giant waves and rip tides and the occasional uh, aggressive sea lion to uh, alligators dehydration. And you also got rained on a lot, I think, on that trip. Yes, it was very rainy in the beginning. Oh, and then also the barge traffic. The rain, the rain was like, I, I could deal with the rain. The barge traffic was absolutely incredible. And, you know, you, you wonder how to play it because you want to stay out of their way, but you want them to also see you so they don't run into you because they do park the barges. There's so many that, you know, when they park them, they park them like right along the riverbanks um, and tie up to cypress trees. And, you know, that's kind of sad. And, but they, you know, so you really have to be aware and have that radio on. I don't think I ever had a paddle either where I had the radio on constantly just to communicate with the barge operators. And it came in really, it really did come in handy because there was that time there was a drunk guy in a kayak and they were all letting each other know about him. So they didn't run him over. And of course, then I thought, you know, I might want to know where he is just so I can avoid him. <laughs> so they were happy to oblige me with that information. So this is, this is all the heavy uh, cargo that's going up and down the Mississippi and the, and the yeah. rivers adjacent. And, and these are huge trains of big barges full of cement and everything else, grain. Yes, a lot of corn. Um, I think there were a lot of ethanol and plants along the way too. And then also a lot of corn and soy. And that was, I, I've never seen, like even though going by the coastal ports, mm -hmm. how busy they are and how much traffic and, and the huge cargo ships um, in there, um, the barge traffic was, was really the worst traffic I've, the river traffic um, on the Mississippi and parts of the Ohio and Tentom were far worse than anything I've encountered on on the coast. It's sort of amazing. I mean, you have a different perspective on America when you do, especially when you're so close to the water as you've been to, to, to see what the coasts really look like, to see what uh, our river systems are. I mean, that's industrial agriculture you saw in the Gulf. You saw, you know, oil and gas and its coastal impacts with Cancer Alley, with all the refineries there. And, um, you know, sort of what after after years of of doing this kind of unique paddling, what's your takeaway? You know that we are not being creative enough with how we address all of the issues that were, that are before us regarding ocean conservation, water you know water protection and conservation, and you know and also interacting with the public and of course policy. I mean, we really are are do, we're not being creative enough, and we're also kind of being negligent too when we don't create more ways for people to interact with our waterways you also have reached out to new constituencies i mean the paddle community the kind of extreme sports folks uh they know you and hopefully you know how to turn them around and get them talking about yes yeah i um there's some really good things happening i think in um originating out of kentucky believe it or not <laughs> So, you know, with, with uh, my friend Jerry James starting this uh, organization to really focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion in paddle sports, and it, it, I think it's going to be a big, big, huge thing once we get that thing rolling. Um, because part of the program that a bunch of us 
in this, we're calling it the Paddlers Action Committee, are focusing on is a holistic approach with getting kids on the water so that they also understand the water issues in their area. And, um, you know, to tie, tie, to also educate them in, about what, where they're paddling and why, if they're out here enjoying this water, they need to be part of the solution in keeping it clean too. Oh, I forgot to tell you one of recently, a couple of weeks ago, I was surfing in the inlet and there were dolphins and they just put you to shame. Like they're just out there playing in that inlet. There are three of them just popping out of this wave at the same time surfing. It was just incredible. They were just having so much fun. This was Corson's Inlet um, in Ocean City, the south end of Ocean City. New Jersey. Yes, in New Jersey. I, I mean, it's, it's what's amazing is people don't think about dolphins when they think of New Jersey. And we also have pelicans too oh, yeah. in the summer. So, and people don't think about these creatures. And I saw a leatherback turtle too once off of Holgate Inlet. So, you know, it's amazing what we have. It is so amazing what we have. And it is funny though, how when you see dolphins on the beach and you're actually seeing them from the beach as opposed to being in the water. And when everyone else starts seeing the dolphins too, it's all, oh, everyone's happy. There's not one person who gets grumpy seeing dolphins. You know, there really isn't. <laughs> off in the salty ocean, off where the waves are free. The sparkling water rises, then crashes to the sea. Out amongst the breakers, you'll have no need to fear. It's true, it's the blue frontier.